Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello, and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. And this is episode 19. Oh, sweet 19. Moving moving along. Mm-hmm. We're doing good. I was uh, I was impressed. We took that long break and then had episode 18 mm-hmm. um, a little while ago. And I thought, you know, no one would find it, no one would see it, no one would care because we had taken so long. But we ended up uh, the first two days having 100-some downloads and then over the course of a week, like three or 400. So, oh, nice. Yes, we did. We did all right. We didn't lose everybody. So, hi. Thank you for <laughs> sticking right, with us. After listening to it, they're like, oh, my God, these guys are so rusty and so unorganized. <laughs> they're probably not going to tune in again. So that means we can say whatever we want because no in this listening. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Complete freedom. You know, it's funny. Um, I forgot... Excuse me. Well, drinking a cider. So am I. Yeah, and then I just had a little <laughs> air bubble in my throat there. Um, so I forgot to change the RSS feed. So anyone who subscribed to our podcast via RSS RSS doesn't know we've started making episodes again oh. because I changed sites, mm-hmm. and so I really need to like put something on that RSS feed that says, "Hey, we're we've moved." I don't know. I just thought of that. So <laughs> probably should do that maybe tonight. Um, yeah. So how you been, Mike? Uh, pretty good. I've been trying. And last last time we spoke, you asked me what I've been playing. I said, it's too soon to tell. Well, it's still too soon to tell, even though the time <laughs> is left. Because, and I'm just going to rant a little bit. I've been trying okay. to play Fire Emblem Heroes on my phone. Okay. But I got a dinky phone. Like, it, I, you know, too many pictures or whatnot on it. And this, I don't know if you've, have you tried playing it at all? It's Nintendo's. Well, I'll tell you um, about that game. in a second, okay. but, but finish your story. All right. Well, you have, you know, you create an account and then you start, you know, you do your download and, and the title updates within itself. So that's nice. You don't have to go back to the app store to update, but it's constantly trying to download hundreds of megabytes of data. And I'm constantly getting the, oh, you can't do it because you don't have no space on your phone. So that's been my ordeal in trying to experience a new game um, lately. So gotcha. I just wanna, like the games have got, like what happened to Nintendo games where you just put the cartridge in and then mom and dad left you alone for the whole weekend. You got to play it. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Mom and no. dad has to create an account. Then you get to log in then you have to update the title. And then, well, you know, a little you know, anecdote on that before uh-huh. I talk about Fire Emblem Heroes for a second here is so the, the Nintendo Switch, right? Mm-hmm. So when the Nintendo uh, Wii came out, I I made a, a deal of it. I went to the midnight release. I stood in line. I was teaching at the time. I actually offered my students extra credit. They didn't they didn't have to buy a Nintendo Wii, but they had to wait in line, and then they had to write about it. <laughs> okay. Or write about the experience, uh-huh. the fandom, you know, what drives – because, you know, game design, what drives people to wait all night as opposed to just waiting mm-hmm. a little while and getting it, you know. Um, and so it, it was kind of neat. But – so, you know, for the, the Wii U, I didn't really care too much about. And so the Switch, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a whirl. And I didn't pre-order it because I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just going to go to the midnight release. They don't have a midnight release. Mm. They have a pre-order midnight release. So people got to wait in line until at, and at midnight, they got to pre-order the game huh. or the system. Uh-huh. So now it's just like, okay, so I could have waited in line and then got a piece of paper that says, yes, you waited in line, and in X number of months, you will have a console. It's like, that kind of takes the fun out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, We're getting old. We're getting old is what it is. Yeah, well, that that actually segues into one of the topics we'll talk about later uh, tonight, um, you know, about the ways that we uh, spend our time in the game space other than actually yes. playing games. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah. Fire Emblem. Uh-huh. 
So I I did start playing it, and then I got in this whole bandwagon where you realize that oh okay you can re-roll your account to try to get better starting heroes. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, because the first 20 orbs, whatever they're called in the game, yeah, that uh, used to summon some heroes. And then, you know, but it's random. And so the tutorial, I, I, I timed myself. I can get from the, installing the game through my first summon in seven minutes. Okay. And so I could just keep doing that, right, in an <laughs> yeah. attempt to get the best heroes that I could possibly get. But then I realized that, by the way, the total download, it's, it's one download of 80 megs and then one download of 300 megs. Mm-hmm. And that's the only downloads it's had to do. Um, but then I realized I can do better. So <laughs> I set up a laptop with uh, software called BlueStacks 2, which is an Android emulator. And I rooted it. And then I installed <laughs> no. Fire Emblem on that. Yeah. Right. So then I don't have to re-download. Instead, I can just wipe out just my save file because it has root access. <laughs> Realizing that wasn't fast enough, I wrote an automation <laughs> script that basically plays the game for me uh, by determining on-screen factors and mm-hmm. then moving your mouse cursor and clicking mm-hmm. and stuff. So now the game plays itself for me over and over. Uh, every time it completes its first summon, it moves that saved data file into a, a locked backup and takes a screenshot and catalogs it. So now <laughs> I can look and see what all of the roles were. And if I find one that I want, I can just go and pull that particular save <laughs> out of the catalog and then load it in as my actual game. Wouldn't it be easier to hack the save file? Well, no, no, because the save file merely points to an ID on the server. Oh, so smart, it, has smart. To, it has to exist on the server. Right, I right. couldn't just give myself stuff on the save uh-huh. file. But right. each one of those save files contains the key uh-huh. that identifies it with the server. And I okay. imagine if they're inactive for so long, right. then the server just wipes yeah. it or whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I took playing the game to gaming the game. <laughs> right. And I still haven't really played all that much. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I didn't finally get yeah. a role that I like right. and I've started playing right. it. But, but figuring out how to cheat was a lot more fun than actually sitting down and playing the game in the long run. But, That'll also uh, segue well into that conversation about <laughs> yes, how do we yes, how do we split our time between playing, making games, or in your case, uh, beating the game outside of the game. And then... <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to start this topic then? I yeah. mean, we've segued into it twice. I feel that's yeah. fate. Yeah. So, okay, announce our topic here, Mike. So I was interested uh, on your experience or any realizations you had surrounding that, hey, I consider myself a gamer, but I also spend a lot of my quote unquote gaming time not gaming. I'm doing things related to it, but are different, like experimenting with trying to develop a, a game idea um, or um, streaming uh, content that's game related, uh, like esports and things like that, which I find myself doing more and more. Um, and what is the opp- streaming? Streaming as in watching other people, or you yourself streaming? You play? Oh, I well, it could be, but could be either. Like, do you? Okay. I don't. I don't personally stream because I'd be terrible at it. But um, <laughs> I would. Uh, I do uh, watch streamers uh, play the games that I enjoy. You know, it's just like um, I would watch professional sports. In fact, it's one of the opportunity costs, and that's the other element I'd like to talk about. Is like, what are we giving up in order to be able to do that? And is there a uh, impact on our our culture or our society and our economy as a result of all of us gamers making these choices to stay in the games realm, but not necessarily even playing games. 
Well, first off, I want to say that if you streamed, I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> but uh, so I. <laughs> oh, by the way, you'd be proud of. You you'd be very proud of me. Uh, I was playing StarCraft not too long ago, and um, I took it upon myself to troll. I, yes. I said, you know what? I'm going to do the mic thing. I'm going to act dumb. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it was actually pretty fun. The guy was like, what? like, you know, the guy was like, oh, just, just never mind. Um, whatever. Just, just go on your way. Fine. Whatever. I've turned like, you to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's pretty funny. I, uh, I realized I, I have a bit of a problem when I was trolling my four-year-old the other day <laughs> while playing a, an NES game. I'm like, all did right, maybe. Him, did you make him cry? No, <laughs> no. But it was it was funny. Anyway, I uh <laughs> uh so yeah, so playing games. It's it's interesting. So obviously I, I try to be technology agnostic mm -hmm. uh, on this podcast here, but uh but you know, I, I, I work for Unity Technologies, right? We mm -hmm. you know the Unity game engine, right? So it's it's fairly popular, so it's all over the place and and I'm in a very public role. Um, at that company, at being an evangelist, I, I visit companies and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's tough because, you know, I'm viewed as this the company guy, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, it feels unfortunate when when I when I say stuff and people are like, "Oh, you're just saying that because you have to, because it's your job." And, and that's never true. I wouldn't say something just because it was my job. I, I try to to tell people, and this is this is how I view it, right? I am first and foremost a gamer, right? Always, I am. Second, a game developer, and I am third, a Unity employee, right? Mm -hmm. At least that's the way I try to view it, right? Which is why I try to be, you know, technology agnostic on, on this particular podcast. Um, and so playing games is a huge part of why I make games, right? Um, and, you know, I don't, you know, a lot of people, they make games and they never play them. And I totally get it. And I totally respect it. A lot of people are like, well, I would never – how can you be a game developer if you don't even play games? And and uh, that's usually been used in the past in conjunction with something incredibly sexist you're about to say. Well, you're not. You're, you're a fake gamer girl, so how can you make games or whatever, right? right. And those arguments tend to go hand in hand. I, I totally get it because a lot of times my life would be super easy if I didn't play games because I'd have so much extra time. Um, but so I get it. There is, there is a certain cost to it, right? Because, you know, for every – you know, you know, even if you're at work, right, and you're like, okay, I've got these jobs to do, in the back of your mind, you tend to be, oh, man, but I really wish I was playing this game instead. Or I really wish I was. And if I, you know, if I wasn't a gamer, I'm sure it would be something else, but at least I wouldn't have, have that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, playing games is such a, a nourishing font of, of ideas, right? Like a lot of my ideas come from, not necessarily from a game as in, oh, I see you do that. I'm going to do that. But in identifying something about a game that I find dissatisfying or not even just dissatisfying, but something I would have done different. And then I think, oh, well, okay, I'm going to make a game that does that, or I'm going to focus on that, or, or that's going to inspire me to do this or that, or, or this other thing. Right. Um, so for me, it, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you play games, uh, you work within the, the game sphere. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm a very similar in my profile, except for the third part. I'm not a Unity employee, but that I'll play the games. And what inspired me to become a game developer, um, at least on the art and design side, was the belief that you, you guys made a bad choice or, you know, this mm -hmm. team, why did they make the game do this when it would have been so much better to do that. And uh, as a professional developer, I started to realize, oh, it's actually really hard to do <laughs> the right thing. 
Um, even if I'm just doing this, like I'm taking uh, Udemy uh, uh, Unity lessons just to kind of learn more about C Sharp, mm-hmm. and I'm finding myself not wanting to finish these little demo games to the extent that I thought I would want to, just because it's like, oh, this is so tedious. Why? I don't want to do the right <laughs> thing. I just want to do the expedient thing now. Um, sure. And um, and a lot of people don't realize that many times behind the scenes, the right thing would be a crippling thing. If mm-hmm. I had done this thing, we may not have shipped. Right. If I had done this thing, we'd have gone bankrupt. If I, right. you know, it, a lot of times, I mean, people take this for granted. Like, let's look at Bethesda games for a minute. Skyrim, mm-hmm. uh-huh. right? Love Skyrim. Skyrim's awesome. And everyone's like, oh, here's another Bethesda game. Look for all these bugs and whatever. And, you know, at, at one part, I find the bugs kind of endearing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if a company, you know, were to, to quote unquote do the right thing mm-hmm. and release a completely bug-free uh, Elder Scrolls game, there would never be an Elder Scrolls game, because I mean those games are too massive, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so that idea of you know playing games, seeing this, and oh, do the right thing, right? That can be problematic of a viewpoint. Well, and I would say all software ships with known bugs. I mean, you go mm-hmm. through. At, at the end of your production cycle, you go to triage and you have to decide which of these issues are important enough to address, which of these do we, we call def- them showstoppers. Yeah, showstoppers yeah. or um, a priority or priority ones. And then you have your twos and that's time allowing. And then you have your Cs or your threes, like just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or you just outright defer them saying uh, they get fixed if we ever end up doing another release of this title. We know that this issue exists and that we'll address it then. But for the... Uh, you know, 1.0 version of this, it's, it's going in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I mean, there are like tens of tens and tens of thousands of bugs in any given um, AAA title and you can only address so many of them. So stretched UVs or the odd occasional strange um, IK freak out and, you know, mm-hmm. with an NPC off in the corner, yeah, you ignore them. You ship with those known bugs, um, but showstoppers, of course you should not, um, ship with that because you are breaking the game you the play the player's um uh, experience comes to a halt it's another thing entirely if it's just oh there's an imperfection in the presentation but the game still runs um the problem lately has been that the game's gotten so big and so complex and yet are being published by these large um companies that have the pedigree of having gone through quote-unquote certification with the platform holders or they've got the nintendo seal of approval kind of thing going on you know or that that sense of like didn't you guys historically produce fixed retail product that never got patched and was as far as i remember perfect of course we were kids back then and we didn't notice any of these things and the fidelity of the content was not nearly as high you couldn't tell that there was a vertex kind of always freaking out on the elbow of this character because there was, there were, they there were was so no low. Elbow to the yeah, they were so yeah. low poly. It, it didn't matter. Um, but now you totally notice this weird thing swimming on the face of a character. You're like, oh god, that's gross. It's uncanny valley. Um, yeah. So it's interesting how uh, our interests in games. Uh, as a, a way of engaging our uh, critical thinking skills. Like we mm-hmm. want to find the thing to critique and want to be able to say we could one up it makes us uh, forgiving of some of the imperfections in the products and makes us interested in them in the first place. Uh, whereas I think there are a lot of people who want to consume a leisure product and just like, I want it to be as slick as a Marvel movie, like perfect. Mm-hmm. It's got all the colors have been 
perfectly and, controlled and, and filtered. And there are plenty of games yeah. for that, and there yeah. are plenty of games that aren't, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess you got to kind of just yeah. go into it with a little understanding there. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting that playing games is, you know, it's kind of one of those things that it's either professionally, it's something that, that drives you or it's something that's not. Obviously, those are the only two choices mm-hmm. um, because that it's a bipolar argument. But um but yeah, for me, it definitely is. It, it, not even just video games, right? I still play Dungeons & Dragons. Um, actually, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons online uh, using a software called Roll20 so I could play with other people with a virtual tabletop, which is a lot of cool uh, fun. And again, D&D sessions kind of inspire game mechanic ideas and, and storylines and characters and stuff like that, which is, you know, always always good to keep the, the the juices flowing. The big problem really is that when I play games and they give me these ideas, but I'm already busy on actual products now, uh-huh. then those ideas become painful because I really want to do this thing, but I cannot because I have real world, I have a job, right? right I got right. these other things I have to do. And in that way, the game starts to become a little bit of a burden. I see. Yeah, for me, uh, because I'm not um, working a, uh, a full-time job in at any studio right now, I have that freedom to do as much or as little as I want. And lately, unfortunately, it's been very little, but I'm getting back into it, going to be more disciplined. But I noticed um, how much of my time when I was spent away from any kind of work environment was spent um, on an iPad or on a phone watching games content. And then I asked mm-hmm. myself, huh, uh, I'm still feeling like I'm engaged in the game space, but I'm not actually, I'm actually watching television, so to speak. You know, um, I'm just, it's just that it's games related. Um, when I was younger and before I was a professional, I used to read in all the trade magazines a lot. Mm-hmm. I would just read and read and read and be just imagine, because you couldn't afford every game out there or every system. Um, sure. So right. you would just fantasize and engage in that sense, like, <laughs> like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if I had um, a Sound Blaster card in my PC? I'm going to save up my money and get one of those, and you know, and just read all the reviews for which which one to get. And what I goes forgot about them. Sound Blaster. Oh, you have to like, oh, you know, you had um, your um, TSRs, your Terminate and Stay Resident little mm-hmm. things in DOS. Oh, I mean, it was just like you all that stuff. You have to do research and, and think about. And, <laughs> actually worked at a used games or used computer store and we would you know experiment a lot with hardware and software there and then just re-shrink wrap it a dirty little secret that was, that that was back uh, before uh it was all just so plug and play yeah yeah right now i mean there's stick it in it works whatever right right no this is back when there was a serial port on computers <laughs> parallel oh, ports. Not parallel port i mean the parallel you know, port that's yeah, and uh i was playing keep talking and nobody explodes mm-hmm. right i don't know if you've played that game or heard of that game i've heard of it yes yeah, so for those uh, listening who, who have it, it's it's a VR game uh, where the person wearing the headset can see a bomb, and the other players cannot. The ones not wearing a VR headset, they instead just have a manual, and they have to work together, just talking to each other to defuse this bomb. And I'm playing it, and at one point, uh, the instructions say, "Is there a parallel port on the bomb?" Now my wife. <laughs> has no idea what that means. 
and I'm trying to explain a parallel port, you know, to someone who's, you know, never yeah. used a parallel port, right? And it was just like, well, how big is it? Is it this? And then and, she, and I'm like trying to explain the shape and whatever. And then she's looking at a serial port. And I'm like, no, it's going to have more pins than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. Just the old school uh, uh, tech there. Yeah. It was you know, just a funny aside with like when I worked at this store uh, back in the nineties, uh, you'd, the customer would be like, Oh, I need help. I have to get a cable for this, uh, you know, some sort of obscure, like thermal transfer printer or whatever it is. Like, well, is it serial or parallel? And they're like, uh, and then they give you an answer. And you, does it have a male or female connection? And they're like, what? <laughs> like, dude, you have to know, does it have the, do the pins stick out or are there holes? And they're like, Oh, <laughs> like, oh, like, I didn't realize it was going to get sexual. Like, okay, yeah, you need an adapter and then, you know, blah, blah. it's like, Oh man. Yeah, the parallel ports is a big wide one, lots of data moving in parallel or narrow one, data moving serially. Uh, I did learn the hard way. You don't uh, use an adapter, male to female adapter for a uh, serial because chances are what that means is you're plugging a serial cable into a VGA port <laughs> uh, because serial and a VGA were right. the same. Just yeah. serial was male, VGA was yeah. – uh, or no, were they both male? I don't remember now. I think maybe the, at any rate, yeah. So little anecdotes. Um you know, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about now. We're still talking about the ways that we uh, participate in games in our minds, but mm -hmm. we're actually doing something other than playing a game. Yeah. And I mean, and I play a lot of games with research, too. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you, you are the same way, where you want to know more about a particular genre. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing more in the VR space. So obviously, I'm playing a lot more VR games. Uh, again, to figure out what mechanics I like, what mechanics I don't. Uh, it's just like I'm so motion sick, which mechanics make me sick. Mm -hmm. So they make me sick, chances are. Um, they, they'll probably make others sick as well. So, I mean, it's, it's more than just playing the games. A lot of times it's actually a part of the job as right, opposed right. to a distractor. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I realized I, I don't read um, magazines or printed media nearly as much as I used to. And I used to subscribe to these magazines. Now I don't. So there's some economic activity, writers and advertisings and printing, all that stuff has gone away. Uh, but it's been replaced with watching um, and uh, videos from YouTube, for example, or maybe occasionally I'll go on Twitch. I usually don't go on Twitch that much, but it's mostly through YouTube. Uh, but, the, you know, after an hour of watching a, like a, a someone stream that had been uploaded to YouTube, um, I've watched maybe two or three ads. Whereas if I was watching commercial television, I would have watched, you know, many, many ads. So I realized mm -hmm. there's a, there is, my eyeballs still have the same economic value, I assume to advertisers, but they're not capitalizing on it. I'm glad that they aren't right now because I hate watching ads, but mm -hmm. I would actually still put up with it in order to watch this content. Um, so for me, that was an interesting realization that, um, a lot of money went away from my choice in how I consume um, stuff outside of games um, that hasn't been replaced yet by the, the video sources. Uh, to my knowledge, well, don't, they don't go giving them ideas, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you, so everyone now is gonna be like, "Oh, Mike, Mike Wu said we could do more ads, so let's do some more ads." Well, but you but, had a great point. But here's the thing: <laughs> remember how we were talking about that VR lawsuit uh, last time? Um, yes. Where Oculus got sued, and we didn't. Is this a good thing? Five hundred million dollar settlement, or is it a bad thing? Is it chilling, um, or are they going to leverage this um, uh, to do good things with the money and come up with their own technologies? And one thing that I read after the fact was, is well, if there is a silver lining to this suit for the industry in general, it's that it's going to make even more uh, of the marketplace 
realize that VR is a big uh, potential market or it's going to be a big part of the interactive medium space uh, because of a multi-billion dollar lawsuit that results in hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, settlement uh, is not something to be ignored. So that means more attention is going to be paid to VR and there might be more investment overall. Granted, careful investment, but uh, mm-hmm. more investment overall. And um, anyways, I forget what we're That's true. I hadn't really it, thought of it that way. Yeah. That but, if, if people are willing to fight over it, it has to be worth fighting for. Right. And I right? think if people realize, hey, these people who love games and they're not just, it's not just the games that we have to invest in. It's the way they participate in games outside of the playing that also has value. And we should get in on that and invest in things that make gamers happy. So hey, that, Mountain Dew did that. I don't know how many Mountain Dew Doritos. Uh-huh. I don't know how many times we're going to have a Halo edition Mountain Dew. Every oh, time you know, Halo, I, I have Halo. a, I have an aluminum bottle of that Mountain Dew. It's got that See, Halo that's 3. That's what I'm telling you. And it's got plastic ice in the. Gillette made a gamer oriented <laughs> shaving razor. Mm-hmm. I have uh, Adidas. I believe the lotion strip in it had caffeine. <laughs> I have Adidas I'm not Halo. Making that up. I have Halo, that? I have Halo shoes from Adidas. You uh, have Halo shoes? That's so <laughs> awesome. I want uh, branded shoes. But. But uh, so like maybe it's consumer products, but I'm also thinking about media and uh, the way um, our time spent in games, not just in the playing of it, but observing others playing it, it becomes more and more economically valuable. And therefore, uh, you know, media companies start investing. Well, you in just that described esports, right? Right. This whole the evolution of esports. Right, right, right. And right now, esports is this thing. um Sort of like uh, NBC is to the NFL or Fox Sports is to the NFL. What happens when the game developers say, uh, I don't need an NBC or a Fox. I can be my be my own. I can find a way to, you know, I don't want to say it in a bad way, exploit a player's willingness to not just play the game, but then also spectate within the product itself. Uh, and now granted, like uh, there are games that already do this where you can spectate uh, matches, um, mm-hmm. but like watch that really, really become like the main thrust of a company as opposed to just a feature within a particular game. Um, full disclosure, I know of a small studio because uh, some of them are former EA people that I worked with called Outpost Games. Um, mm-hmm. Look those people up, Outpost, like, you know, the little watchtower. Um, sure. They are focused on making games where this you are not just a player; you are also um, a spectator, and and that helping to build. You know, you are a performer basically when you play the sure. game. Um, there, there's a, a real common topic going around the industry right now that if you want to design a game for large scale success, you have to decide. You have to design it so it has watchability. It mm-hmm. has to be streamable. If you're making a game that's not fun to watch other people play via stream, mm-hmm. then it's kind of just agreed that it's not going to be as successful as it could be, right? And so a lot of game developers and game designers are now putting into their games elements that make them enjoyable to watch. So it sounds uh, because like- Because the understanding okay. that the, the, like the Twitch communities mm-hmm. keep these games alive and really boost it to that next level. Right. That, so there is a, an overall shift, um, a realization yes. or, or acknowledgement that- uh, the other end of playing, watching it being played is just as important. Because, you know, frankly, I think all of us grew up uh, in in families uh, where we remember fondly having cousins or siblings sitting beside us and we watched each other play um, mm-hmm. on the one Nintendo. And now we, as mature um, adults still playing games, 
it's not as often that we can get together in person. So, but we still want that. Um, There's that social aspect. Yeah, that that yeah that aspect. Uh, we want it in our lives. So, um, yeah. we'll go and find it in some other form. Anyways, we cool. don't have to beat that topic to death. We can move on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to kind of move back to what we were talking about last week with the tech patents or do you want to move ahead and talk about Greenlight? Yeah, you know what? Maybe we should have even opened up that way because I'm sure there's some people who are like, God, I just wish you would close out the last conversation you had so I can stop listening and move on with my life. Instead, you made Chances me are listen they don't to- even remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's totally move back to the, um, to the technology copying uh, thing. So um, it's it's an interesting idea. So I believe the question was posed like, you know, if uh, so, this, this, again, this is relating to the Zenimax Oculus Rift lawsuit, where it's saying, OK, they misappropriated copyright intellectual property. And, and how can you possibly know? Right. So um, this is something that was a real common thing uh, when I taught where I would catch a lot of cheaters. Right. Uh, a lot of times people would go out the Internet and find solutions to the problem. They would just paste the code. It worked and they just turn it as their own work or whatever. And uh, and I I was you know, I believe I've expressed this before. Mm-hmm. But as a teacher, I was kind of a jerk uh, <laughs> because I was one of those. I, I, I still to this day believe that, you know, strongest steel is forced in the hottest flame. Um <laughs> Which is uh, from an actual metal standpoint, not true. Uh, but uh, yeah, and so you know, I, I was I was fairly strict. I tried to be hard and teach people some really good stuff. But you know, so while other teachers, like the, I believe the rest of the computer science faculty combined, uh, wrote up two students uh, a semester for academic dishonesty, I would write up fifteen to twenty. Wow. And uh, yeah, I was you know, I and I always felt like, hey. If you're not sure if it's cheating or not, mm-hmm. just just put the website that you got it from in right. the, uh, in the right. code or mm-hmm. just come ask me, hey, I got this code. Is this cheating if I turn this in? I'll tell you. You won't be – but no, they never do. But anyway, um, so kind of taking on that, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you kind of know some of these things. And so uh, the idea is that if I get some tech from you, right, mm-hmm. um, very rarely does it integrate directly into my stuff. Right. Um, that's kind of always one of the funny things about uh, sci-fi uh, TVs and shows and movies where they find some alien tech right. and they take it and they just hook it into their ship. Like it just talks to each other like mm-hmm. Independence Day. Right. Where mm-hmm. he uploaded a virus onto the alien computer. Like how does he even have a port? They can. <laughs> right. Do the aliens also use cereal? Like how did <laughs> right. they how did they have a how did they interface with each other? Right. So uh, chances are you're not going to just like look at my tech to determine if it's your tech and look at the code and be like, oh, this is the exact same code. Right. And because uh-huh. chances are it's had to be modified pretty heavily to go in my system anyway. Besides that, you know, if you had comments in your code, it was like, this is my code, this is my code. If I was actively trying to steal it from you, right, uh-huh. um, even if I wasn't maybe nefarious about it, right, if I was just like, oh, I, I believe I have, I have the right to this, you know, even if I'm not trying to quote unquote steal, uh-huh. um, chances are I would still remove those comments, uh-huh. right? And so, and, and a lot of times I might change variable names and whatever in kind of a real generic sense, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. A, a lot of times programming programs are a lot like, you know, like handwriting, right? And the, the way uh-huh. they come together. And if you look at enough of it, you can start sort of seeing the patterns with that. So it may not be that uh, – so, for instance, let's say your technology is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. Right? And your technology involves uh, Wonder Bread, 
uh, which you find in some oak cabinets, and then uh, jiffy peanut butter that you spread on the bread with a plastic knife, mm-hmm. right? God, this is the worst sandwich ever. It's full well, of it's hydrogenated oils and a plastic knife to spread it. Uh, well, you made it. It's your technology. <laughs> okay, that's Quit right. messing with my uh, okay. <laughs> my metaphor. Here. Okay. Uh, but so then, if I release uh, my technology, mm-hmm. which is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich made with like. Uh, I don't know, wheat bread from uh-huh. uh, uh, walnut cabinets that uh-huh. I spread organic uh-huh. peanut butter on with a, a silver knife. Yes. You might look at that and be like, oh, two completely different bits of technology. Uh-huh. But if you look at it and say, okay, you both get the bread out of the cabinet right uh-huh. here. You both put it down here. You uh-huh. both get the peanut butter out here. You both grab the knife. Uh-huh. All of a sudden you're like saying, oh, wait a minute. This is like a one-for-one one correlation between uh-huh. the two. Right. Like there's... You could see a few of these being coincidence, but yeah. generally not, right? right. If, if you look at the process of, like, say, a component stack or a serialization stack, and you say, wait a minute, you're writing out the data here the same, you're getting it back, maybe different data sets or whatever, but you're getting it back, you're processing it immediately as opposed to maybe a step later at the exact same time, you know, mm-hmm. and you start thinking, wait a minute, like, you can, you can very easily change code, but it's... If I were to have to reverse engineer and re-architect a solution so that it wasn't the same, right. then I then I basically just made my own solution anyway, right? The problem is not the the problem is that you have the algorithm, the actual the actual building blocks that that your technology uses is irrelevant. I can just write my own little building blocks. Is, What's important is how you put those building blocks right. together uh-huh. to build the final product. Okay. And that's what's important to me. That's the part that, you know, you, I, I took from you or uh, I borrowed from you inappropriately or whatever. It's not, it's not the ideas. Ideas are worth really nothing. It's the execution of those ideas to come up with something that works at the end, mm-hmm. which is incredibly valuable. Right. Yeah, that um, makes like sense to me. My machine, I could write on a piece of paper, my machine that'll turn lead into gold, right? The classic alchemist machine, mm-hmm. right? But if you make it work, that's worth way more than my yeah. idea for it. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then, you know, I can replace your little pieces with my little pieces that are different. But if the machine is still the same, mm-hmm. then it's pretty, I don't want to say it's pretty easy to tell because, again, these are very huge, complex environments, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's how you identify it. You look for those signatures, those um, key functioning points uh, where all your data comes together. And if they come together in the same way multiple times, it's more than a coincidence. Yeah. So I'm getting a sense of it's not the details. It's not the names. It's the way data flows through the system and all those little timings and um, uh, like uh, the the structure, as you put it, I think earlier of mm-hmm. uh of the machine is what's important less about like, you know, like if you had two characters standing side by side and you're like, is one a copy of the other? It's like, wait a second, you could have designed a character in any way, shape or form. All you've changed here is like the, they both wear pants. They both have two legs. They both have a helmet. They both, you know, they're both standing in the same pose. The yeah. Granted different hair color, different shirt, different pants, all this stuff, but they're still, they're structurally identical. So there's mm-hmm. a high potential that this is a copy of another design. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you, yeah, if you release a game that 
plays very much like a, another game, you know. And and there are some limitations to what can be copyrighted, what can't. You can't copyright mm-hmm. style, um, and you have to patent certain algorithms. Um, I believe Halo was a great example of that. Uh, Halo Combat Evolved. Um, I believe you guys patented seven different uh, aim assist um, AI pieces. Uh, that helped the players with a controller aim in in the game, um, and that was pretty neat. I mean, that was kind of a brand new thing for 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 shooter gaming, as far as I'm right. aware. Right, it was super controversial uh, too. Yeah, people yeah. Were like, oh, this is cheating. Well, is it cheating? Um, <laughs> well, looking back yeah, on it now, yeah. like you're like, oh, that was that paved the way because shooter games on a console were yeah. really hard without right. it, right? Right. Um, yeah, without it, it would be. In much much different of a game for sure but uh and so you know if i make a system in the same essence as your as halo's fire assist am i stealing it well no right i'm not and uh but at the same time if i make an exact copy then sure there's a little bit more to it as well like if you build a system and i build a system mm-hmm. right and they end up being very very similar right well you can't really claim misappropriation there unless i somehow had access to your technology then it becomes a big like oh no all right that's problematic right. i mean two people can rate can can guess and come up with similar solutions right. But this is where patent law becomes really important. Uh, and this is what I learned um, mm-hmm. as we spoke about last time, is that patents, at least in the United States, are based on, you know, whoever made, the, whoever requests the patent first and gets it approved, they own that patent. So it's true. Two people can independently come up with the exact same solution to a non-trivial technical problem. But the one who holds the patent has the right to stop another person from using it. Oh my God, I came up with this all by myself. Yes, but I patented the idea first. You I I doesn't mean I that I, doesn't mean doesn't mean I can do anything necessarily with it, but it does mean I can stop you from doing something with it. Unless I can prove I did it in a way that right. you didn't patent. Right, right. Or in a way that you didn't right. you in, couldn't even know about. In right? other words, it has to be a novel solution. But yes, if it looks like, hey, this looks the results of your aim assist are produce the exact same result as mine, I could say, I think you're you're infringing and then you have a lawsuit, then you have to kind of reveal the technologies and someone who's familiar would have to look at it. And like you would say like, oh yes, I see how the, they're coming to the same uh, same number two, but the way they go about it is structurally a different animal. Uh, and so it's they're coming to a similar result, but in a completely different way, it's not infringement or, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I've, I've learned to read, uh, you know, over the, maybe the past year and a half that, U.S. patent law is built in a uh, the weirdest way. It's meant to be like you're supposed to sue and get sued. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how the the laws don't exist until someone goes, yeah, that's how it is, and then it is that way until someone else says, no, it's not, and then it's not anymore. <laughs> right. right? It's like. Uh-huh. Um, uh, when uh, so I forget who it was uh, uh, Mojang uh, tried to patent scrolls, uh-huh. right? And it was that big to do, and everyone's like, uh, Mojang's this evil company. Why would you do that? You know, all these other games, and it's just the word scrolls. What trademark? And, you mean trademark? Trademark, the, trademark, yeah. trademark. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and I and patent trademark, all that uh-huh. weird uh-huh. IP law. Uh-huh. And and I remember them saying uh, something along the lines of like, Look, we're just seeing if we can. 
Right. We obviously can't. Now that's a law. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? Like, But that's how the system works. You patent a whole bunch of stuff. You trademark a whole bunch of stuff. And if it holds up in court, cool. And if it doesn't, right. okay then. And then that is what it is. Right. It's just the craziest, weirdest. Yeah. And you, and you make these trademarks not necessarily because you want to stop others, but you want to stop others from preventing you. From exactly. Being able to do it. Exactly. It's, like, it's and, defensive. And if I'm concerned, defensive. If I'm concerned, patent, someone right. else. Exactly. And yeah. if, I, if I'm concerned, someone else is going to come in and abuse a trademark on something. Maybe I'll just trademark it right, right. away. Right. And then I'll just let anyone use it and just be like, yeah, but I've protected it now because I own it. Right. And I anyone think, is allowed to use it. And it's like, what? What is this mess? Just right. this nonsense. Right. Well, I think. <laughs> do you remember when King.com trademarked Saga? As part yes. of games, you're like, what? Yes. Saga is like this ancient word like that we use to mean so. What? Remember, there was someone he trademarked Epic, and for a long time, was able to troll and get yeah. money off of using the word Epic in games what related. Uh, well, you remember? So for for endeavors. eons, you haven't been able to hear uh, the birthday song. Happy birthday, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, on TV or they because someone someone who obviously did not create it just went and trademarked it. <laughs> it's just no one else had. Yeah. They're like, all right. And that's held for how many years? <laughs> it just right. finally got overturned and it was given to public domain. Now anyone can do it on TV. Uh-huh. But it was like the guy the guy saw an opportunity. Well, no one's trademarked it, so I'm just gonna go trademark yeah. it. And he found some judge, maybe on his last day, going, Yeah, whatever. And it was like done law boom right. And so again, <laughs> a lot of companies are defensively uh, trademarking, copywriting, and patenting to things to be able to say, okay, okay, Mister Jerk, you've got that one thing, but I've got these three things, and I have a feeling you and I are going to duel now, or we can just let this go, right? And like, okay, mm-hmm. let's just let this go. So, it, yeah, it's really weird how um, company behaviors look a lot like old school, ancient military tribal behaviors. You know, it's like, yeah, a, and it just a depends off, on which uh, yeah. judge you have on which get, which day. Uh, the best defense is a good offense, it seems. I know. I don't know how we got on that type of, but man, yeah. just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, it's, I don't know why people become lawyers. I just don't understand. It's too much. But uh, at, at any rate, so yeah, I mean, so that's, I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, about, so how about you would go about like recognizing what you would identify, in fact, I as mean, copying. I'm not some like world class yeah. reverse engineering hacker or whatever, mm-hmm. but I do reverse engineer stuff a lot for my mm-hmm. job where I get these finished products and I have to, to pull them apart to mm-hmm. figure out what the process is mm-hmm. so we can teach it. And uh, so I, I do it quite often. And that's generally how I go about it. I look for what is the core? What are the, what, what's the messaging or what's the, the fundamental process or algorithm here? And I try to keep that intact. And then everything else is just the modules to mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah, most technology is that way. Hmm. All right. So uh, we've covered a couple of our topics here. Uh, I believe we were also talking about uh, the project, uh, or not project, uh, Greenlight. Steve right. Greenlight. Yeah, that's been a now, big topic. Did you topic. hear about this? Yes, just uh, briefly I did. Um, and then you brought it up as a potential topic. So, yeah, I'd love to dive into it and talk. And so it's interesting because, uh, you know, I I, I mostly I, – I was always aware of Greenlight, but I, I was only sort of tangentially. I've never really paid any attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every once in a while someone would say, hey, support my game on Greenlight. And I'd be like, oh, cool, and I'll go check it out or whatever. But, you know, I didn't really know what it's – purpose was, you know, and since this happened, I started reading about it and learning, oh, this is what it was supposed to do and that sort of stuff. So so Greenlight is effectively going away. It's still here for now. But uh, and the idea, for anyone who doesn't know, um, 
is the uh, uh, so green light from Steam is how basically people could say this is the game I want to make, and the community votes, and if a game gets enough votes, it passes green light on Steam, and that's sort of like a a check mark that yes, this is viable. So that they then do their Kickstarter or whatever. The idea being that if a game is greenlit. Uh, meaning enough people want it, you can feel safe backing it on Kickstarter because this is a company that will not take your money. Right? They are actually going to produce something. They've been vetted by the community, and and it's a, it's a safe bet to invest in uh, for Kickstarter and things like that. Now that is not necessarily what happened, but I that but that was its original purpose. Yeah, it right? was it was supposed to um, get rid of just the sheer tonnage of crap games that were coming out um, because this, again, Steam is PC-based. So anybody mm-hmm. who, with access to an IDE could create a game and then just put it up on a, on a game site and see if it could um, get any downloads or sales. But if every engineer and slash designer is doing that, you've got tens of thousands of titles coming out on an annual basis. You can't get through all that. So Greenlight was supposed to say, oh, no, 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 people have looked at this. And they're telling you it's, you know, sort of like a publisher, they green light projects like the the audience has looked at this and said, or the potential audience has looked at this and given it, given it approval. So you know, it was supposed to be a, um, um, a weed out process. But I don't know if that's actually what happened. Right. No. no. And apparently, you know, in, in that, you know, the, the part of like trying to prevent scammers and whatever, mm-hmm. people that are just trying to steal money. And apparently that still happened pretty pretty universally. So uh, people will find a way to scam and cheat and steal and whatnot. And there was still tons of what they call shovelware, right? The, mm-hmm. Just the, the crap and stuff like that. And so I guess, you know, the, the reason it's going away is that it was just – you know, not an effective solution, really. Um, now there are they are replacing it, so it's not going away per se. It's becoming this other system called Direct. Uh, however, Greenlight, in and of itself, being this community voted, community sponsored, you know, you get in by sheer popularity. That's going away because it, again, it just sort of proved to be ineffective. Yeah, but the but Direct is, I believe, uh, fee based and credential based, right? You have to be able to produce a certain amount of, um, like paperwork that proves your legitimacy as a development. You have to just verify uh, your existence. Okay. Right? right. So you have to verify your company name and the fact that you are a company. Okay. So, well, so, so I mean, so fakeable you, for sure. Okay. So I guess could a kid and you know on his summer vacation produce a game and get on steam then anymore because they don't necessarily have a company so yeah that's what so i don't know right so that's are you, that's, so are that's you referring to this new system the direct yeah yeah so direct is going to have basically a fee associated with it um however you know no one really knows how much and that fee in mm-hmm. and of itself could be a, you know, kind of a potential stopper, even for real studios, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, indie studios looking to get started, depending on what the fee is. Um, you know, so that that's it's hard to say. I mean, realistically, if you're thinking, if you're some kid over the summer and you made a game, isn't that the shovelware we're talking about? <laughs> right. So, right. So maybe right. that would be an effective solution to maybe saying, all right, that's a great game, but maybe it's not a Steam game uh-huh. or, or whatever. But at the same time. Right. If I am a if I'm a scammer, right. If I'm someone who, or you know, I'm not gonna say scammer, right. Because not everyone is intentionally doing these things mm-hmm. uh, to to wrong others. But maybe let's say 
I'm never going to complete this game. I'm dreaming too big. Mm-hmm. I don't even realize it myself, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I look at a fee of, say, $5,000, I'm, I'm going to pay that because it's my gateway to getting more funding. Especially if that fee deters 70% of my mm-hmm. would-be competitors. Mm-hmm. Well, now all of a sudden, I have a more attentive market, mm-hmm. right? And that right. is very valuable right. to me. Right. Uh, and so I don't know that, that Direct will be successful in its – I mean, it, it really depends, I guess, on, on what it effectively ends up being once it comes out. Yeah. I, th- I do – think that there needs to be a way of demonstrating I have skin in this game. Like uh, the thing that the developers that made Greenlight fail um, have done is that they uh, put out this um, statement of intent to invest a lot of uh, human capital into the production of this thing. Like they may not be paying themselves much. They may be doing it as a hobby or whatever, but they're going to put in the time to finish it and they end up not putting in the time to finish it or at least not putting in the quality. Um, And so now how can the system say, yes, you are going to commit that time. And maybe it is like you have to put in substantial enough money. And maybe there's a way to say like, you have to put this up and you can get it back, you know, even if you don't make a lot of sales, but if you do finish it and then it gets rated well or something, you know, Valve returns some of that feedback to you or something. Um, but you have to at least upfront be willing to say, I have to earn this back. Um, mm-hmm. in some way. And it can't be a fee level so low that most people are like, I don't care if I lose that hundred bucks. You know, I just, right. just want to screw around. I don't know. To me, a little bit as well, that kind of goes against the spirit of the... So if I if if me and and several of my friends uh-huh. decide we're gonna make this game indie, we're gonna do it uh, in our spare time. We're gonna put in that blood, sweat, and tears. Uh-huh. We're gonna make this game. Uh-huh. Maybe we don't have five grand right to shell out front, but we are we're willing to put in the sweat. Egg. So this solution didn't help us; it stopped us. Right. Even though we would have been one of those good breakout games, right? Like, look at Flappy Bird, right? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that wasn't a Steam game, but it's the same mm-hmm. concept, yeah. right? Now, what if you had charged that developer, you know, a huge upfront fee? Right, right. That game would never be out. That, mm-hmm. you know, that right. would be just a, a half-finished product on someone's hard drive. Right. And uh, and in that game, in its own way, for as simple as it was and for short-lived mm-hmm. as it was, really, uh, just a couple weeks, right? I believe changed the market to some extent. Right. We see f- still Flappy Bird clones everywhere, <laughs> and that style of gameplay everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like I believe, like Flappy Bird, uh, the success of that, I mean, really heavily trans uh, 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 moved to the success of Crossy Road, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very similar, not a similar game mechanically, but mm-hmm. the idea is it's very simple, you know, single button kind of whatever. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and so will this new system dissuade? I mean, so if I'm a, if I'm a scammer, whether I know it or not, I'm willing to front that money because mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to get that money back through mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not, if I'm just an indie who's literally willing to put in the time and effort, I've just been stopped. So you've mm-hmm. basically reversed your mm-hmm. intention. Right. You let the scammers through, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know how often that's the case. I might just be. That might just be one in a billion, and it's really not enough to worry about. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's one in a hundred. Maybe right. it's you know. Uh, then maybe that's something to consider. Right. You know, if Valve and and everybody thinks of Steam as being almost a monopoly or as in a monopoly on 
digital gaming on PC, but it isn't. I think this does create an opportunity for um, another format or another platform to come out where like these are indie games or student games or experimental games or, you know, friends making games site and come watch it develop. And uh, there can be that lowered expectation of this may or may not actually become fully fledged or whatever but uh but do you I think, think that would be a successful business idea because it, it, as, it doesn't as a have gamer, to be yeah it doesn't have to be about the business because if it was just me and a few friends trying to make something no, really no, cool i mean i mean who's provided the, the service provider right right, right. Uh, because like look the games that are going to make all the money mm-hmm. right those will be on steam anyway right so you're gonna you're and, gonna be flush there right and then you're gonna dump all these resources into the multitude of games that won't mm-hmm. Um, and what are you really gaining, right? So at the best, you can maybe hope to break even. I don't know. Uh, I'm not suggesting it's not – there's not something there, but it just seems like if I'm thinking about it, if I am a service provider, I – if I'm looking at it from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. I'm not talking right. about no, the, yeah. the, you know, uh, the whole like, oh, there's a there's a hero in all of us. You can right, do right, it. Right, right, um, but as a business standpoint, my first and foremost priority is to, to stay in business. And so I'm going to hedge my bets with the games that are going to make a lot of money, which, you know, is not a bad business practice because that right. ultimately drives the industry forward as well. Yeah. When I was um, thinking this out loud, my mind kept going to like who would be the company, the service provider that could uh, justify having this kind of uh indie platform where a lot of the projects may not actually finish or um, be profitable. Um, Places like Microsoft, where it's all about Mm -hmm. encouraging development period because they produce the development tools that you'll want to use professionally. And even if you grew up to not want to make, or you, or your career, you're already growing up and it was just something that you wanted to try. Even if you don't end up making games professionally in the long run, at least you were, you made a habit, a joy out of development period, and you happen to use tools promoted by the platform that hosted your games development projects, which happened to be Microsoft-based or something like that um, might be a way of of getting it to work. Um, well, I, t- yeah. I tell you what, thinking along uh-huh. those lines, though, uh-huh. truly, you're right. And, and if, a company, if a company were to do this, I think it, it would necessarily be it would be a good fit for a Microsoft or an Amazon or a Google, and here's why. The value in my mind is not in that, oh, you used our product, whatever. Because those those people tend to have their markets locked up in their respective areas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, you want to get people continuing to use your product and stuff, and that that is a, a certainly a good value there. Mm-hmm. But the real value is in the true currency of the internet, data. If I can track games, player habits, trends, mm-hmm. right? Right. If I if I know the who, the what, and the where, and I can sell that information, right? There's my value. Right. Right. My consumers become my product. Right. Right. Which is a very common thing anymore. Right. right? That right. you hear people saying that all, all the time. Like my consumers are my product. When mm-hmm. when games sell advertisement space because their consumers are their product, uh, and you know that it's the old adage, when something is free, it's not free. You're the cost. Right. 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 right? Um, and in that realm, if I 
if I could create a service that allowed you to play these these indie games or as a community kind of boost these indie games or whatever, and as part of that service, I just have like a, you know, a survey like, hey, what kind of games are you into? What's your mm-hmm. your age range? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what what's your demographic? And and then I just you know quietly watch you play games. Uh, that sounds creepy, but you know. And then eventually, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm noticing this correlation of all these. 35 to 50 year old white males in West Virginia. Uh, I don't know why I picked that state, but uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, okay, well, maybe we, we could sell that that uh, demographic information, or mm-hmm. you know, show targeted ads, or or something along those lines, right? right. Um, I think there's a lot of value in data. Oh, you know, and also you make me think about um, the idea of like, oh, in order for your indie game to um, have good penetration within our user base, you have to hashtag it, you have to uh, keyword it, whatever, and you'll be able to track those trends, like what's people trending. People data mining themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, oh. And then better yet, you get people to to, to put achievements mm-hmm. for your system in mm-hmm. their game, yeah. and now you're deeply tracking right, behavior right, in your game right. through those achievements. Oh, I see that across the board, collection achievements are some of the first people get and the most mm-hmm. people get. Right. So we've got, you know, a demographic of collectors and then all all females between this age range and this age range in this region, uh, they tend they trend towards uh, collecting or crafting or mm-hmm. combat or just this particular type of gameplay. Mm-hmm. And now I got it, right? I know what type of gameplay appeals most to that demographic and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I would also look at keywords outside of the platform itself. I would be like, okay, every Tuesday, the big games come out. Uh, It's just the way the industry works. And we know how they're being, like they're being advertised as uh, uh, a survival game. And let's see how many uh, indie games on our platform get hashtagged with survival uh, following this, the release of this big commercial game that is of that genre. And you can see like, okay, that one is going to have a long tail or that one's going to be a success because we have a correlation between what gets cloned and what's popular. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you can test like submarket penetration, right right? right? right. Like a new Resident Evil game comes mm-hmm. out. That's mm-hmm. obviously not something that's unique to your platform. Uh-huh. But now right. watch how many scary games on your platform right. start exactly. getting played. That's exactly what I'm talking about. People who yep. couldn't maybe play Resident Evil right, right now or, right. or beat it and they were mm-hmm. looking for more uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting idea. It's very so, tangential to what you, we're talking about. Yeah, but if you want a promotion, you should pitch this to Unity. Uh, yeah. You're like, I can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, it's already sorry, in the man. works. I did not say that. I did not say that. <laughs> you said that. I'm inferring um, it. Uh, so yeah, it, it is, it's an interesting potential and, mm-hmm. uh, um, data, yeah, data is, like I said, the, the kind of the new currency of the mm-hmm. internet really, uh, can never really be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're kind of running down on time, but I did want to talk real quick. Um, well, actually, real quick. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to talk about maybe on no, that topic? No, no, no. I'm good. I feel like we, we went down all uh-huh. our tangents. Yes. Like that. Yep. I did want to talk a little bit about Magic Leap. Okay. Um, you had brought up Magic Leap uh, when we talked offline a little bit ago, and then I was looking at Magic Leap for a completely different reason. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, 
it's an, it, it was it was intriguing to me, and so I figured maybe I'd talk about it. So um, now you were talking about a, a Magic Leap um, lawsuit from last year. That's right. It was settled in late October of 2016. And, and that, what was the lawsuit? It was between um, the head office uh, of Magic Leap, which is based out in Florida, and their Silicon Valley office had, uh, I, th- I believe it was two key employees that were... Uh, not happy with the situation uh, and wanted to leave to form their own company and Magic Leap and them, they countersued each other about very similar terms were being used as the case that we were talking about last time between Oculus and Zenimax, uh, where they claimed that um, there was a misappropriation of IP. And who ended up winning that? Um, honestly, it was just settled. So the, I, well, same as Zenimax. Uh, I can't remember that details there um okay yeah i'm sorry i you know i should no, have been no, no, no. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that, that's it's yeah. fine but it is interesting that you know again people are sort of fighting over this tech right now i i think it's it was so new that people didn't quite know what they had when they yeah. had it and then after the fact went wait a minute i had that yeah and apparently it's really valuable I, uh-huh. I want it back right yeah now i was looking at magic leap because uh and so there was an article released uh, just a couple of days ago uh that they uh, are being sued for sexual discrimination um now i you know not taking sides for or against uh magic leap i don't know enough about the story but it, it was interesting to me because the grievances are something that a lot of us encounter every day in a non-gender specific way and we take it as just part of the job, mm-hmm. right? And then when encountered in a gender-specific way, it does bring up the question again of, oh, is that just a part of the job or is it not? Is it something different now? And and, and I don't know kind of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. But So the idea was uh, is this. So a, a lady uh, was hired, uh, I believe, let's see here, uh, Tannen Campbell, mm-hmm. all right, um, was hired to kind of highlight the lack of gender diversity in the company, all right? Uh, and so effectively what happened uh, was uh, she made this uh, uh, this report or this presentation about what she was hired to do, right, uh, the, this lack of gender diversity within the company, Um and then, you know, the, the CEO took like seven months to actually schedule a time to watch it and then left halfway through mm-hmm. and didn't finish it. Uh, and then uh, another lady, uh, 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 Rashna Bazin. Mm-hmm. Uh, headed up this uh, female brain trust initiative, uh, which had several uh, several females, a few a few males, on it to identify areas where the culture was less inviting uh, to females, and some things they could do uh, to improve the design of the hardware uh, for use for for women and things like that. And apparently, uh, as the meetings went on, eventually no males showed up anymore, uh, and then none of the ideas were ever implemented. Mm. And so if you take the gender parts out of that, mm-hmm. that sounds like everybody's job. My boss <laughs> asked me for this presentation, yeah. then took forever to watch it and just lost interest and left halfway through. That happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I was uh, asked to head up a task force that would uh, find areas where uh, we're not doing something and come up with solutions, and then they didn't implement any of my solutions. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time, mm-hmm. right? And so on one hand, you could think, 
all right, well, is this just that? Is this just, oh, you came up with these ideas, but you know what? We're not going to implement any of them, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it something else? Because now it has to do with, with people being comfortable in the workforce as opposed to just busy work. I don't know what your thoughts on right. that are. Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm looking very quickly here at a Business Insider article about this particular lawsuit that you're you're discussing. Um, and it, yes, it's a company is a. I'm quoting from the article here. Alleges that the company is a hostile working condition, uh, hostile working place for women. A condition that has led the company missing internal deadlines, according to the complaint. So the so the issue at hand is it is specifically hostile towards women which leads to the missing of deadlines that's and you're saying well there are a lot of hostile working conditions um that are similar to what's being described here that are not gender-based or just like you have a jerk for a boss or um a creative uh leader who does not have a clear vision mm-hmm. um and has or a company changes directions and your right, initiatives right, have changed. Right. So, um, yeah, you and I have both been in lots of places where there's a, been a very, and perhaps it is stereotypically macho, like uh, alpha male, like my way or the highway. Um, but I don't know that if bad behavior is exclusively masculine or, well, misog- or, misog- I've, I've, or misogynist. I've females who are, who are that way as well. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that do we give it... Like if this if this had been a person suing because you know they were hired to find I don't know and I'm just throwing a suggestion or an idea here they were hired to find out um, why the the employees of the company didn't eat well mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. right and so they came up with a presentation or they were part of a group to brainstorm better ways to have the employees eat healthier and nothing mm-hmm. was done everyone so yeah everyone would say just who cares right that all right. Quit whining, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's a, a gender-specific thing, mm-hmm. what do we think about it then, right? Mm-hmm. At the, you know, because there's part of you who wants to say, "Well, like, yeah, welcome to the job, right? Your your ideas got ignored, sure." Yeah. But on the other hand, you're like, "Well, this is different, right? Because this is right. Your ideas were je- were rejected, not because they were." Just random ideas that didn't jive with what we but were trying to do. But maybe they were. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe her ideas sucked. Yeah. So that's I mean, we I don't think, know. Right. That's right? what. So I think that's why the the case has to prove that uh, that the decisions being made by the CEO uh, was that Ronnie Abovitz, um mm-hmm. were gender based decisions, not merit based decisions. But, that's that's going to be the case. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. And but how can you possibly prove that? I mean, and at, at what point does a company have to? I mean, let's let's be honest. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not necessarily that I believe this, but I'm just saying this. Who says a company has to be inclusive to women? Right. Uh, it's right. a com- I mean, it, who if if we just want to be a bunch of misogynistic males running around doing that thing, mm-hmm. then okay. Yeah. I mean, you're you're a business. You're not you're not the government. <laughs> Don't right. give me start on that. Right. You're not uh, a school. You're not mm-hmm. a park. You're not a church. You're you're a business. As long as you're not breaking the law, be a bunch of assholes. Mm-hmm. Who cares, right? But this, you know, I, I'm not saying that I believe that. But I'm just saying, right. like, right? What, what can really hope to be gained here? 
Right. It's even if like, you yeah. prove that, even if you prove they're a bunch of jerks, mm-hmm. so what? Mm-hmm. Right. I guess that when it comes to employment, uh, and and like for example, if you wanted to uh, be, um, if you wanted to do work with the government, of course, then the the government can specify we want to hire sure, or contract uh, people that are. Um, Equal opportunity employers, and that means mm-hmm. you have to be uh, you have to be able to um, prove that you hire in a certain way and things like that. Uh, when it comes to a company like Magic Leap, which I guess they're not public, so not owned by anyone. There's no government involvement. Are they basically like people? People can be racist assholes, and that doesn't mean they're doing something illegal. It just means they're jerks, and you don't want to hang around them. Mm-hmm. But when you employ someone. Um, and I'm embarrassed because as a manager, I don't, or a former manager, mm. I should know an answer to this, like whether or not that's actually defensible. And I would assume it it varies by state by state because I remember being trained with, say, Washington state specific law or mm. California state labor law saying I can do these things or I can express myself these ways. Um, or In the I state should of keep Ohio, my order, yeah. the only, mm. so it's an at-will uh-huh. state. Most of the states are at-will right. states. Yeah. Um, the only thing you cannot fire a person mm-hmm. for is uh, religion, gender, race, or disability. Okay. And that's everything I like. You wore a red tie today, and I hate red ties. You're fired. Right. So, right, so really, so they, uh, this, uh, the, the Tannen Campbell uh, lady here, she was let go, and she said it was after she pointed out these things to the CEO, mm-hmm. and then he fired her, right? Okay. So, I guess the real challenge here is that can she prove that was the reason versus can he prove it was literally anything else in the world? Uh-huh. Right, right. And it's I, a hard, yeah, it's, it's a hard case. It's a tough one. And mm-hmm. it, it's important. I think I think she's doing the right thing. If she believes that she was sexually discriminated, I don't uh-huh. think that's cool. I think she should absolutely be doing this. But at the same time, all it's going to, unfortunately, all it's going to achieve is dragging everyone's name to the mud quite a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about it because yeah. – if she was truly discriminated against, then absolutely this should be something we look at. But at the same time, it's so hard to, I guess, care. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds terrible because people get fired all the time. And while it's not okay to be fired a certain way, at the same time, it's like, okay then. But, but yeah, let's – all right, so this company was evil. Let's – Let's move on with their lives. I don't know. I, mostly, I just sound insensitive at this point, but uh, I guess I just have sort of experience oh, and, on and it. I think that's what why people are loath to, like, why they're so sensitive. Like, oh, it's a gender-based case. We have to be very, very careful because we don't want to do the wrong thing. Because if it's, um, if it's a legitimate problem, you have to root that out. It's it's a bad thing. Um, but let's see. There's I'm too reading, many- non-legitimate yeah. problems that make it so right. hard. Right. So uh, Campbell, who is it, suing for Magic Leap for sex discrimination, retaliation, and hostile work environment. So um, that you're going to have to look at Florida uh, law to see mm-hmm. what counts as uh, an illegal um, retaliation. Does Florida have laws? I'm not <laughs> sure. I don't know if I've mentioned this. I don't like Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Very few people do. Uh, I, I like the weather, but I, th- the I think alligators, I, man. I, th- I think it's all going to be underwater in fifty years. Um, wow. 
most of the world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. But I, I read this and I thought, okay, this is something I kind of want to get your take on because you're you're much more of a, a people person. And right. and while you you did uh, you you did take. Uh, some initiative from me and tried trolling. I yeah. have been doing quite yeah. the same, taking some ideas from you and trying to step back and being right. like, okay, they're not evil. Right. They just maybe are doing this and right. this is their goal and they actually are trying to accomplish something good. Uh, yeah. It just happens to be counter to what yeah. I'm trying to accomplish. Neither you and I have ever met uh, the plaintiff or have seen videos of her to kind of get a feeling for what her personality is like or what her life experiences might be might be like i have no idea how old she is what race she is what her background is other than i think she was hired in the marketing department but her complaint yes. connects the lack of women in the company's leadership and engineering department with claims for the missed internal deadlines and i think both you and i have had professional environments in yeah predominantly male and uh places where there I wouldn't say there was specifically a sex discrimination issue but there was definitely a um, we just hire from our our pool of game loving friends that happen to be other guys from we knew in college yeah, play exactly. the same, right so it's like this perpetual I would say the claim is it's incestuous uh, but sure. it's not necessarily is it, intentionally is it- it, it, is it evil or is it incompetent? Yeah, it's incompetent. I can miss right, deadlines. Right, right. That doesn't mean right. that I'm being hostile or whatever. Maybe I'm just bad at my job. Yeah, I'm, you, I'm saying like if a company misses a deadline, it could be because of this hostile against female work environment. But it could also be that some manager was just not really good at their job. And so how do you, how do you separate the two? And maybe there is no separating it. Maybe there's no – I bet you even if you knew all of the facts, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what makes things like this so difficult. Even if I had every piece of actual information, I probably still couldn't look at that and and say one way or the other. I, it would have to be something very specific. Like in order to make this deadline, part of the goal was to make sure that the product appealed to a 60% male, 40% female audience by this metric, like how they were going to survey the, their play test group Mm -hmm. but they had to delay that because they knew that they weren't going to make that uh that number because they did zero uh put zero effort into addressing um gender-based issues with a product Um, sure but that could be that they just didn't they didn't address it or that someone forgot about it mm -hmm. right Right? like taking seven months to uh, to schedule a meeting i think her claim so her case if it's to work she has to say here is the paper trail that shows that they were presented with very clear evidence you should not make pornography a major selling aspect of magic leap in order to appeal to a balanced and uh and then there was an email chain saying like you know f this blah 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 blah, you know screw the the broads you know all sorts of sexist yeah i hate women you know like then you're like oh yeah see you missed that deadline because you uh Took yeah, a gender-based. If you have based, evidence like that, then yeah, this is pretty open and shut. Yeah, I mean, right? and that's an extreme example that just open and shuts it. But um, certainly, but it could, yeah. there could be a more subtle, or just like a here are a bunch of asides. Like after this person was out of the loop, that they said to kind of just dismiss her. And it's like, yeah, don't worry, she's a girl. And then he was like, oh, okay, so her ability to do her job or and even, therefore her even being more fired. Don't worry, we don't need the female market or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. But you know, you basically have to prove not only that that you sent all these emails, but also that the other person didn't read them. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Or, or did yeah. read them and didn't do anything because what if they, you know, what if they just didn't read them? No, yeah, the, it's not that don't. not <laughs> yeah, that they exactly. didn't do anything with them. That they came, they came to a hostile judgment based off exactly. of the fact that it was your gender that they disliked. But I, I think this particular, I, you know, this particular lawsuit. I, I, one of the reasons it just sort of rang with me as I was looking up things to talk about is that I think that this one's going to be fairly important. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's a big new cutting-edge technology company. Um, the country is in the political climate that it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this new technology of VR, AR. There's so many factors that make this kind of a an important. What do I say? An, an important event for so, whichever way it goes, can really kind of set a tone mm-hmm. for a whole new industry. You're right in a whole new era, and so it is very important. It's very important for both sides to kind of do the best they can, right? And for for the truth to actually come out with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I so I've my personally, I've been in work environments where I um, I had uh, worked in a in a studio where it was I would say ninety nine point nine percent male, and mm-hmm. then in another studio that was um, not fifty fifty, but it was definitely. You know, I would say 85, 15 uh, male uh, versus female. And both of those studios struggled in exactly the same ways. The almost all male studio, in fact, we w- it, this would be the kind of issue that um, she was complaining about this boys club where um, on certain holidays, our admin team would order flowers and spas like spa gift certificates for all of our significant others. Um, so it would just assumed that it's all dudes who have girls back home who miss them because we've been crunching so much. Um, well, why can't a male significant other go to the spa? I, I mean, but it, you know what I mean? It's, you know, to <laughs> know get you your mean. nails done. I know and what stuff. you mean. Right, it, right, right. It's, it's predominantly a, like a, a gift that you would give to a female friend or, or a female significant Certainly, other. Traditionally, yes. And roses on Valentine's Day and things like that. So um, that would be considered like sexist today. Um, but that sure. studio was very but, successful. But not and, and we, hostily so. Yeah. But we misguided, were st- certainly. Right, right. Misguided. But, and we, but, we, but we still made many deadlines and we missed many. But it wasn't because of their, our, um, our, uh, our gender division problems it was uh, for other reasons so that's yeah. yeah this is going to be a tough case to uh argue on the the bad decisions and they definitely seem to be making bad decisions but it's going to be hard to prove that they're being made because of um sexual discrimination versus just gross incompetency being macho sure. does not mean you don't that you will necessarily discriminate against women it being macho means you discriminate against everybody everybody's an idiot com- except for you no one's good except for you that's what it means right. to be the alpha dude um it, you know it, the case has a, a bit of an interest for me as well because you know uh, unity is growing so quickly uh-huh. and you know in in a little bit you kind of wonder about your own culture right and right. you hope it stands up and and i i fully believe it will i mean mm-hmm. it's an amazing culture um but you look at this and it's sort of a reality check. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess we do need to be vigilant, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because, um, no, yeah. you know, because 
who knows if if you know well i mean never mind i was gonna say who knows if this is intrinsic to the whole company or just a small subset but when she's bringing up the ceo directly i guess it Mm -hmm. can't get more intrinsic to the company Uh than that but uh yeah it'll be interesting uh, this is what i'm gonna follow for sure yeah I mean, uh, and to go back to your point, maybe we can close on this, uh, the comment about culture. Yes, you definitely realize as you uh, kind of come up through the industry how much that has to be a conscious effort. And it seems so Mickey Mouse. The -hmm. first time you come across the notion that you have to develop, actively invest in the culture of your studio. It's like, isn't it supposed to be born out of the passion of and the friendships that we already hold when we came into this thing? And it's sort of like, well... That's naive. It's sort of like joining three friends to start a game. Well, it without... is born out of that, but yeah. then it needs to be fostered. Yeah. And it needs to be it needs to be saved from turning into something bad. Yeah, it needs to be eva- and plus it needs to be reevaluated constantly because, you know, when yes. you first start out as an organism, you can all feed off of the same resources. But then as you grow in number, you can't all be going to the same place to draw energy or strength or Yeah, you're not you're, all going to be best friends. Right. So you have to make sure that the diet, so to speak, of this organism that you're building becomes diverse and uh, can meet all those different objectives of a of a more diverse uh, group um, who who are all um, serving the organism um, instead of all you, just you going to the same a, place. Uh, you had yeah. a particularly interesting story about culture. I'm not going to allude to it right now, but mm-hmm. maybe in a future episode, if you're comfortable talking about it, uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but uh, it would be interesting to hear you talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about it uh, offline and we'll see if it's something we can set up for next time. Cool. Cool. Alrighty. Well, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up there then. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. We're we're about 20 minutes over. So Holy crap. Uh, I know. We're, so, we're I not hope, very good at this. You know, I, I bet <laughs> if it was me listening, I would have paused 40 minutes ago to go to the bathroom and come back. I'm sorry about that, listeners. I'm glad you were able to go to the bathroom. Or hold it or whatever. <laughs> or hold it or whatever. <laughs> you know, I uh, – so someone posted on Twitter the other day about they just released a new episode of their podcast. It was a game-related podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let me go check this out. And it's all structured. There's <laughs> notes. There's timestamps for when things are talked about. In the, like it is so – I mean, they even have a really good font. <laughs> like, it is down to the D. De- and I'm just like, oh, man, I feel like a schmuck. Yeah, like, you know what? I feel like we our motto should be, we're the Bethesda of podcasts. Well. <laughs> we're a little buggy, but we're still awesome. Well, I believe one of the guys on the other podcast uh, was the previous uh, lead developer for Bethesda. So, oh, uh, okay. So we can't claim that. <laughs> we're swearing it's sued. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, so yeah. Oh well, we'll, we'll be we'll be the other guys. Yeah, um, we're the we're the, <laughs> we're, the we're the green light guys. <laughs> the podcast right. world, the guys that didn't even make it. We're the that. shovelware. Oh my god. Uh, oh well, I, I'm I'm happy being those guys. <laughs> I guess. All right. Uh, so yes, this was uh, Mike's video game podcast episode 19. I'm Mike Geig. I'm Mike Wu. And uh, thanks for believing, <laughs> believers. See you in 20. <laughs> Yes. Bye. Bye. Hold on. Yeah, let me uh, hit my stop.